1: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to The Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you today. I hope it's payday for you It is Friday, so you bi-weekly wage earners, you weekly wage earners, maybe today is the day. Get out and go have some fun, go buy some more championship merch. How's that sound? It feels so great to win, even now. Even though we're uh, on the first day of fall football camp, and we're going to break that down a little bit later in the show, I'm still basking in the glow of a national championship. I'm sure you guys are as well. There's a lot to feel good about. We've earned it, and I had a message from uh, a gentleman yes, yesterday said that when he was at Omaha, that after the celebration, after the trophy presentation and all the streamers and all the confetti and everything had fallen, everybody had gathered that stuff up and collected his souvenirs, that he saw an older gentleman, probably in his late 60s, early 70s, sitting behind the Mississippi State dugout pretty much by himself taking it all in. He said he went up to him and he asked him, he goes, sir, are you okay? He goes, I'm better than okay. He goes, I've been waiting for this my entire life. And I kind of laugh a little bit with my kids. I told told him, I said, I'm glad you didn't have to wait as long as I did to see Mississippi State win it all. But I think about our silver-haired dogs, a lot of respect for them. I feel the need to kind of protect them from time to time. They supported these programs when we weren't very good. Now, we've always been good at baseball. It's been the one thing we could always kind of poke our chest out about. But there are a lot of people, much older than you or I, that have given generously to Mississippi State that are the foundation of what we now enjoy today. I can't begin to imagine. Those Bulldog fans that lived, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s, you know, we didn't beat Ole Miss for 18 consecutive years in football. I can't imagine living through that. Can you imagine how incredibly obnoxious they were? And that's really the difference in, in the series is that stretch. But our fans still showed up, still gave money, still bought tickets, still wore their Mississippi State apparel with pride. And so, on behalf of a grateful Bulldog Nation, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did to help bring us to this point. Because, you know, a lot of times we get so caught up in the main character energy. You know, it's like, well, you know, anything that happened before I was born didn't really matter. That's not true. And a lot of things that happen after we all pass away will will matter. We won't be here to witness them. But there are so many Mississippi State fans – that, uh, that that they deserve this we all do but i think about those that came and watched us play knowing we were probably going to lose but came anyway because they hoped for a day like this they hoped for a time that we could celebrate and the nation would have to kind of bow in reverence say you know what they got us this year I watched the uh, last night. I love college baseball, as you guys know. And last night I was looking for something to watch, and uh, the house had gotten quiet, and uh, I was a little bit too tired to record the show. But I watched, uh, you know, the ending of the 2018 College World Series Game 2 between Arkansas and Oregon State. Uh, Brandon Walker, my friend, was kind of goading some Arkansas fans online about Carson Shaddy overrunning their pop-up which is a difficult thing to live with. I mean, that, that is his legacy. Guy was a hard-nosed blue-collar player. Um, you know, wasn't necessarily a conference favorite, but he's a guy that played really hard, so you, know, you had to kind of respect his game. But that's his legacy. The rest of his life, every time his name is mentioned, everybody will remember him overrunning that pop-up just outside of first base. And listen, it wasn't an easy play. He had to run a long way. He probably should let the right fielder take it, or even the first base when he calls everybody off and overruns it and the ball drops. And then Oregon State gets a base hit to tie the game. And then there's another hit. And then there's a two-run home run. Oregon State wins the game. They go on to win the national championship. And I'm so glad that wasn't us. I can't even begin to imagine if we had beaten Vanderbilt on Tuesday and come out on Wednesday and had a chance to win and we'd make a play or don't make a play late and lose a ball game in dramatic fashion like that. It's one of those things you look at and you begin to think, you know, we always talk about, oh, you know, Mississippi State, it's a very Mississippi State thing to do. And, and my hope is, is that the, you know, the definition you know, behind that statement is changing, that we are becoming – a program in an athletics department that people realize you know what I, those guys are going to come to play every day those ladies too you know we've got a real blue collar appeal about us and sometimes we don't always have the talent to match our grit but this year in baseball we did and so we're part of the club and it feels so good to feel like we belong you know in our hearts we have always felt like you know what this is who we are we are a national power in baseball but again there was always the punchline. It's like, well, yeah, you guys hadn't won at all, though. You guys were great. You got a lot of great players. Thunder Lightning was a great SEC storied. You got all these attendance records, but you don't have the crown jewel. Well, now we do. And I remember sitting in Chris Lamontis' office a couple of years ago. And he goes, you know, Steve, it's just a matter of time before Mississippi State wins a national championship. Everybody knows this. But he stopped short of saying that it would come in his tenure. And maybe it was because, you know, Chris didn't want to, you know, set any unrealistic expectations for the early part of his run here at Mississippi State. But when we look at what's happened in the two years he's been here, we've had some remarkable seasons. We've had some remarkable players. Many of those, well, you know, were recruited and signed by somebody else. And so some would argue, well, you know, we'll see what LaMontis does with his own recruits. But you look and see what we're bringing in. You look and see, uh, you know, the kind of guys that we're signing, and you believe this thing is, is sustainable. And I've said that on the show many times before. You know, Kellum Clark is a guy that actually uh, was first offered by John Cohen and Nick Mangione, committed to Andy Cannizzaro, worked through the Gary Henderson interim year, and then Lamontis takes over. And, you know, I mean, Kellum Clark is an obvious talent. But there were a lot of people that expected Kellum Clark to go in the draft. And then, of his own volition, he decided, you know what? Mississippi State's been loyal to me through four coaching staffs. So I'm going to be loyal to them. And he stayed. And he was one of the heroes of Omaha. So, let me give you a little bit of an update on the new book. I know you guys are, uh, you know, many of you have reached out and you're ready to pre order. We're going to have that very, very soon, finalizing the cover now. Uh, had some issues with the website earlier this week. They got that fixed yesterday. Uh, but uh, so today, And tonight, I will finish up the chapter of the SEC tournament. I mean, what a joy that is going to be to write about that, right? Um, But it's part of our journey. And I remember so many people, you know, after we got embarrassed at Hoover, people were saying, oh, Mississippi State doesn't deserve to be a top eight. Some people even said we shouldn't even host, which is ridiculous. But there are a lot of people that put a lot of emphasis on that week. And I go back to Arkansas. And one of the things that I had heard earlier in the year, you know, from a friend that covers Arkansas, is that not only did Van Horn want to win the SEC championship, because they, you know, they've had some great years but hadn't won it, they also wanted to win the SEC tournament. They had never won that in their time in the in the league. And so we went over there and I don't know that that was our focus. And it showed. We get home, we get rested, and then we get ready to go play. And a lot of people were wondering if we'd even make it out of our regional. And then we did, you know, of course, everybody, well, you know, they had the easiest regional, which wasn't true by any stretch. Then we get Notre Dame, you know, arguably the toughest of the Super Regionals, at least at home. But you begin to see that, you know, we started playing our best baseball. And I think a lot of that goes back to a couple of big decisions. Number one, inserting Kellum Clark into the lineup full-time as the designated hitter, regardless of the matchups. And then Houston Harding becoming the Sunday guy or the game three starter. You know, Jackson Fristo pitched a ton this year, and he was really good early in the year. And then people began to kind of break him down a little bit and kind of, you know, check out his tendencies and kind of get a good scouting report on him. And he struggled a little bit, And, and we all know it. That's a lot to ask of a freshman, especially a guy that wasn't expected to pitch a lot this year. But when Harding took over, and he wasn't ready middle of the year. He wasn't ready. You know, it took some time. But this is a guy that was a real competitor. But, you know, that's, that's really when, you know, once we kind of finalized the lineup and finalized the rotation, I think we all kind of figured out, you know, we got a chance to really do something. I mean, you, you forget, you know, what Houston Harding did at Alabama on that Sunday. You know, we get behind in that ball game 3 nothing, and we bring in Harding, and he gives up a leadoff single. And then he retires the next 15 in a row. And any time that you can retire 15 in a row in a ball game, the chances of you winning are really, really good. And so I've been able to kind of relive all that stuff as I'm writing the book. And, um, you know, the the one thing that kind of stands out to me is just how tough we were. You know, even earlier in the year, you know, when we're playing some teams that may not have been as talented as us and we're trying to find an identity, you know, the one attribute that we had that always was, you you know, prevalent, was how tough we were. Whether it be making the tough pitch, making the big play, getting the clutch hit, you you were going to have to beat Mississippi State for 27 outs. That's very, very difficult to do. And over the course of the season, we kind of figured out, this is who we are, this is the best way for us to attack this thing, and we won a national championship. And so Dogpile will be out sooner rather than later. I'll finish everything up this month, I'm happy to say, too, that of the the, uh, 14 chapters I've already submitted, they've already been uh, through the first round of edits. You know, I'll go back and do another edit myself, and it'll go back again. And so the hope is to have this thing pushed off to print sometime uh, early next month. That's the hope. And then, of course, it takes, uh, you know, a few weeks to print. And so, you know, we hope to have it on the market for you guys in November, if not a little bit before. We'll just kind of see how things progress. But uh, you know, publishers already secured our slot, you know, letting the, the printer know, hey, this is when this book is coming. This is what we've got. So we don't, you know, we're not scrambling there at the end. because you know, a lot of people trying to get their books printed before the holiday rush. This is the biggest time of the year, obviously, for everybody in retail. If you're looking for other books, you can go to alphadogsthebook.com or you can find Blooms of Oleander uh, at great bookstores around the state of Mississippi or your local bookstore can order it for you. Or you can get it at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, or BooksAmillion.com. I'm going to be signing books tomorrow, on Saturday. That's August 7th, from 2 to 3 at Lemuria Books in Jackson, Mississippi. That's the last signing of the summer, barring something totally unforeseen. And then we'll do some game day signings as we get into the year. And then the new one will be out, obviously, uh, later in the year in time for the holiday rush. And I'll be, you 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 know, God willing, I'll be on the road a lot this fall you know, signing books and, uh, you know, for the holiday rush. And, and again, I, w- I want to encourage you guys to, you know, when that pre-order link comes out, it's probably something you need to jump on to ensure, number one, that you get a book, number two, that you get it signed the way you want it signed to who you want it signed. Because who knows what's going to happen, you know, with, um, you know, with the latest COVID stuff and the Delta variant and all that kind of stuff. There may be some, some vendors that decide, you know what, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do book signings. You know, Lemuria Books didn't do anything last year. And so this is my first time to be back, uh, you know, since, um, I guess, 19 down there. Done a few signings at Lemuria Books, one of America's great bookstores, the best bookstore in the state of Mississippi without a doubt. So, again, tomorrow from 2 to 3 at Lemuria Books. Come out, say hello. Obviously, dog pie won't be available, but the other four books will be. Come out, and uh, we can visit a little bit, talk little college baseball bulldog burger company longtime sponsors of the show love bulldog burger company you will too there's so much to love about them great appetizers the spring rolls are my favorite i've had the wings too. wings are really good too very tasty you can also get the uh i guess it's the fried pickles that's that's the one that my my youngest son likes the most is the fried pickles the appetizers are great the entrees are just next level I like to get a burger when I go, but lunchtime I'm usually a salad guy. To be honest, I get the uh, you can get the grilled chicken salad or the regular BLT fried salad. You know, you can get it however you want it. That's one of the best things I like about Bulldog Burger Company is how flexible they are. Yeah, you know, sometimes you go order something somewhere and then the the server kind of looks at like, you, you know, over the over the uh, the clipboard there, and it's like, eh, you know, let me see what we can do. Not at Bulldog Burger Company. You just tell them how you want it. They'll make it just like you want it. Those great desserts, too. I'm a bread pudding fan. I think that's one of those things, too, that says a lot about a restaurant. When I get the bread pudding, I can always tell if they're good or not. The rest of the meal may have been good, but, you know, sometimes the dessert makes it great. Three locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Starkville. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgeland. A lot of good reviews about the new location, too. Appreciate you guys reaching out letting me know. Uh, Always, I'm sure to pass those things on. Glad to know that you guys are having a great experience. Again, that's Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, 2.30 today. We get a chance as the media to see the Mississippi State football team practice in person for the first time in the Mike Leach era, and that's beyond the scrimmages. It's actual practice. You know, we got a chance to see some of the scrimmages uh, back in the spring. This will be a little different. Now, we won't be able to just kind of, you know, walk around everything. We won't be able to roam like we have been. But I'm still very grateful to be there, regardless of the circumstances. We have had some times in the past we've been able to go to practice, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so. And then you get, you know, get out there and you watch your body stretch. And you watch positional drills. And then you got to leave. And that's one of the reasons that you have things like the Javante Payton issue. You know, we see Javante Payton and drills and watching him elevate for footballs and catching everything on its way, and we walk away, wow, this guy's going to be a difference maker for state. Well, we weren't able to see team drills, and you find that in hindsight, that, you know, team drills at times he struggled. And so a lot of people are wondering, I don't understand the media always said this guy was doing great. Well, it's because we had limited, you know, time in practice. Well, we're going to get to see everything for the next, you know, 10 days or so. Until school starts, we're going to be able to go to practice. Now, of course, I won't be there on Saturday because I'll be with you fine folks in Jackson. I will be there today. I will be there on Sunday. And so here are a few things that I'm looking forward to seeing. You know, one of the first things that I want to see is I want to see this receiver group and I want to make sure Jaden Wally's full go. Now, I've heard that he's a full participant, but they're still going to be careful with him, and they should be. You know, you don't, you don't win any awards in fall practice. You may lay the foundation to win some later, but you know there's nobody out there judging anything during fall fall camp. And so I'm eager to see what this wide receiver group looks like. I want to see what Macaih Polk looks like in practice. You know, we've seen a few things obviously in um, in drills. You know, during the spring, but this is fall camp. It's a lot different. I want to see if Rufus Harvey is ready to go. You know, Rufus is a guy last year, you know, due to some contact tracing, he missed some time. You know, he had a hamstring issue earlier in the year and just never really got going. Well, we saw some bursts from him in the spring. You see some flashes and you realize, okay, this is why they signed this guy. It's one thing to watch a guy do it on a high school level, but then all of a sudden you see him in spring practice and he's making SEC-level defenders miss. And that's exciting. Tulu Griffin was uh, somewhat limited in the spring. Eager to see if he's ready to make the jump. You know, he was the MVP of the Armed Forces Bowl. And a lot of people were like, yep, that's a Tulu I expected to see. Where has he been? Well, a lot of it, too, early on, you know, it's just about kind of acclimating to the Division I game. The speed of the game changes. You you can get by just out-athleting people as a skilled guy in high school because most of the guys that are going to pair up against you are not at your ability. They're not really a good counter. And nobody's sticking routes in high school. You're just running by people. Well, all of a sudden, you get here, and you've got to be a little more precise when you're out running. You can't just go up there and round it off at the top of the route. You've got to stick your foot in the ground, make good cuts, work back to your quarterback. There's a lot of nuances of the position to get learned, and it took Tulu a little time to get there. And now I'm ready to see a more polished Tulu Griffin because, you know, with his, his ability to run, this is a guy too, you, you miss a tackle with him, he's going to put you on SportsCenter. It's that simple. He's going to win the foot race to the end zone every single time. He's just that fast. How do we use him? How do we get him in space? How do we get him into matchups that are advantageous to us? And so I'm eager to see that. I'm eager to see what Malik Heath looks like. You know, Malik Heath's a guy too. We've known we've known about Malik forever and a day. It seems we've always known that he was a physical presence. You know, at Callaway High School. They kind of struggled to get him to football. You know, quarterback play wasn't the best. That's not to say they didn't have some very talented athletes. I mean, Callaway went through a stretch worse than what they had an SEC player every year. But Malik is the best of a bunch. Now, does he need to grow up a little bit? Absolutely does. And this has got to be the money year for him. You know, he's got to be a guy that comes and kind of says, listen, hey, I gotta make sure that all the silliness is behind me, I got a chance to go out there and make some things happen. And I was told he got some feedback, you know, from some NFL teams. Uh, earlier in the year, just you know, people kind of passing through or whatever, and just told him, "Hey, you got all the physical ability in the world, man. You got to grow up. It's stuff he needs to hear." I do expect him to sit in game one, just so you know. I, I expect us to have you know a few suspensions in game one, the fallout of the uh, of the fall, the fight up there, <laughs> and rightfully so. I know many people are like, "Oh, let's just put it behind us." Well, when you have something like that, that egregious, it kind of goes against the values of your program you got to address it. Did Tulane start it? Yes. Did Mississippi State end it? Yes. But there's some behavior that was associated with that that has to be addressed. simply has to be. And I suspect Malik will be one of those that's it. You guys are familiar with him, uh, you know, kicking the guy in the shoulder pads. And it's funny, you know, the video is pretty clear what what happened, you know, but that's not what uh, other people suggested. Oh, he kicked the guy in the face. He kicked him in the chest. He kicked him in the shoulder. A guy that was pursuing him, me also, mind you. And it's funny, too, people say, well, he ran away. What do you want him to do? Stand there and stomp him out? You know, I mean, come on. Sometimes I wonder if a lot of these people making these comments have ever been in a fight before, you know. But there's no place for that on a college football field. I know what happens, it does. Emotions run high. You know, I'm sure Tulsa told themselves for months. It's our chance to legitimize ourselves as a program. We're going to get an SEC team in here that's got a losing record. And we're going to beat them, and it's going to be a, kind of the crowning achievement of our season. Well, it didn't happen. That's a tough thing to live with. I mean, you know, when that's been your rallying cry, you know, through ball practice, and you go up there and you get beat, then you get beat again. It's a tough thing to live with. But somehow I think they'll move on. And that's the thing, too, that I, that I think is you know, kind of sad about all this is you know, some of the main offenders on the Tulsa side were seniors, you know, so they'll get off this thing without any punishment. That's the thing you look at, too, and you say, well, how is it fair? You know, the guys that have eligibility left have to serve a suspension. The guys that didn't just get to go on with life, you know, such as life. There is injustice in life. Well, another personnel group I'm eager to see is the offensive line. You guys probably feel the same way about this as I do. You know, we didn't have much continuity last year on the line, outside of Darian Parker. You know, there were times, you know, that, you know, Cole Smith was the center. Then we let James Jackson do it. James just simply couldn't get the protections down. He just couldn't call the protections. So then all of a sudden, you you, know, you slide Cole Smith in at left guard, you know, and so then you're just better off basically just having Cole out there rather than him call the cadence and, you know, from, from left guard. But we had, you know, a lot of guys last year that due to some contact tracing, you know, missed some time. We also had some positive tests and all that. You we know, kind of wreaked havoc with the O-line. And we struggled at times to block three. And those are the things that I, you, know, you go back, and I know I'm opening up an old wound there, kind of picking at that scab, but that was the thing last year that was so frustrating. It's like, if they're dropping eight, how in the world can we not have five to block three? And a lot of that's just because you, you just didn't have an opportunity to develop any cohesion as a unit. That's got to get better this year. Now, granted, everybody should be better this year with a year experience. You've got to replace Darion Parker. And really, that's the only major loss on the offensive line. It's a guy that played the most offensive snaps on the entire team. You know, Charles Cross, some people are projecting him to be a first-round draft pick. He needs to play like one. I think Cole Smith will be your, your center. And, of course, you kind of figure some things out from there. A dollar bill looks like he'll be a guard. Probably will be beneficial to him financially in the long run. We'll figure it out as we go. Cam Jones, obviously a guy that can be the swing guy. You know, LaQuinson Sharps, a guy that, that decided to come back. Obviously, he's a guy that's a competitor there, one of the guard positions. But you're bringing a lot of snaps back. You know, now it's just a matter of uh, you finding the right five and kind of getting better. And then obviously, with the change in the contact tracing rules this year, hopefully, you know, that allows you to kind of keep this thing moving forward. You know, that, that was the reason we moved the Auburn game. I guess it was all game. We, we, had, we, had, we had to change the game last year. It's because we didn't have enough offensive linemen to go play a game. So, hopefully, that's behind us. But I'm eager to see how that group looks because, listen, it was, it was kind of a motley crew last year. You know, you kind of had to kind of piece this thing together. I mean, you know, Cam James out there and Brandon Cunningham, and Brandon's no longer with the program. But, you know, Cam James was a guard, and Greg Allen was struggling some at right tackle. And Cam James turns to Mason Miller in practice and says, "Hey, coach, can I, can I, can I go? Can I give out a shot?" And so, okay, yeah, go. And the next thing you know, he's out there and he's fighting. You know, he doesn't have the technique to play tackle, but he had a willingness and the competitive nature to say, "You know what? I'm gonna get out of here and compete." And things got better on the offensive line. Well, there were some times he got exposed. Absolutely he did. But you know what? Give me the guy that wants to fight. Give me the guy that says, hey, you know what, Coach, it's not even my regular position, but we've we got to do better. Let me get out here and at least try. And that's how it went down. And so I'm eager to see what that looks like this year. You know, the quarterback play, I think we all know. I mean, Will Rogers and Jack Abraham will compete. I think most people expect Will Rogers to win. I'm sure Jack Abraham doesn't see it that way. And I'm glad that he doesn't. I don't want anybody to sign to be a career backup. There's some people who are just happy to have a uniform, be on the sidelines, and, you know, be a part of it all. And that's not to say there's not some value in that. I mean, you've got to have some guys that run a scout team, and there's some guys that eventually will go into coaching. You know, they just want to be close to it all, have an opportunity to learn. You know, not everybody's going to be a starting quarterback in the SEC. That doesn't mean they don't get some valuable experience. But I don't want anybody on my roster that didn't want to play. And I'm sure you don't either. And so I think Jack Abraham shows up thinking, okay, I'm not here to hold a clipboard. I'm gonna get out here and compete. Do the best I can to win this job. And that's gonna make Will Rogers better. And we just want the better of the two, right? I think Will Rogers obviously has a little more rapport and a relationship with the players, is more likely to be on the same page and have some real chemistry. But I like the fact that we're gonna add some competition to the room. And that's what our Washington State people told us back when we first hired Mike Leach. One of our guys at Washington State that covers the team told us, the guy from 247, said, listen, there, he's going to add competition to the quarterback room every single year. Whether it be a walk-on Juco guy, whether it be a transfer from somewhere, he's going to do it every single year. Nobody's going to be able to get comfortable in the quarterback room. Nobody. It's the most important position on the team. So why wouldn't we have competition there? You know, it makes sense. You know, some guys think, well, you know, I just I want my starter to be comfortable and know that it's his team. And, you know, I think the way you know that it's your team is you go out there and you compete and you win the job and earn the respect of your teammates because they're all competing for a spot too. And so I think Will Rogers will do well. He didn't have a great spring game, but I, I don't – you can never evaluate spring games. We've had some spring games. We go out there and look like gangbusters and, and do nothing in, in the season. I remember one time we had to kick a field goal in overtime to, uh, to complete a spring game under Sylvester Croom because the offense was so anemic. But at the end of the day, a spring game is a spring game. It's a glorified practice. Now, I know you, you guys get to go watch and we get to ring cowbells and have a good time and that sort of stuff, but it's still a spring game. There's just no point in getting up in arms about the results of a spring game or the stats of a spring game. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video of Smart Lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security but convenience, no more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools, no drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. Get got fingerprint recognition, it's unlocking. Ufi video lock that's e-u-f-y official.com forward slash video lock and it's time for you to gain control of your door again that's Ufi.
0: Eufy.
1: e-u-f-y
0: without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's
1: just not even worth investing any time or effort into. Now, defensively, I want to see... Randy Charlton really gets some live reps. He was really good in the spring. You know, we signed him as a transfer from UCF, and you see the pictures out there on social media, and you see what a specimen he is. This guy's a freak. He was there leading pass rusher. Now he's here. Chance to play in a Southeastern Conference. So I want to see what he does in fall camp. I, I think that he could be a difference maker for us. And, listen, as much as I like the guys that played last year defensive end, and I really do, we've really struggled to generate some pass rush without bringing a blitz. We just weren't able to do it. Not consistently. I think Charlton helps us in that respect. You know, what can he do on his own to beat a guy, collapse a pocket, make some things happen, maybe when we're dropping in coverage? And so there are going to be times that we're just going to have to, you know, create pressure with our front. And I think Charlton helps us with that. Cam Young was a guy that was a really big star during the spring. You just can't move that guy. And that's one of the things I go back to. And we talked about it before, but, uh, you know, back when, when Shoup was – or Bob Shoup oh – my goodness, who am I talking about here? Bob Shoop, there I finally got it out. You know, Shoup said Cameron Young – is going to be the next great Mississippi small-town story. He goes, he's just very typical of what Mississippi State has done. You go out and you get this guy that's kind of a country-strong guy. It's somewhat under-recruited in some rural area of the state. He comes in, he works hard, he embraces the weight room, and next thing you know he's in the National Football League. Well, we're starting to see that come to fruition. Cam was really good in the spring, and he's a guy that I think could be a real difference maker for this team too. And not necessarily because he's gonna knife through there and always rush to pass. I think he's the guy that can create a mess in the middle. Nathan Pickering's a guy that opted out last year. He's worked his way back. You know, they had some COVID issues within the family and that sort of stuff. And so he made a decision that he felt was best for he and his family. He's worked his way back, but listen, it's time for Nate to, it's time for him to realize his potential. Very highly recruited guy at high school. You guys know how to seminary? You look at him, he's an absolute freak. You know, he's a guy that, you know, I'm eager to see what he looks like today. I understand he really dedicated himself to the weight room, so I'm eager to see him. You know, but Nathan's a guy, too, that, you know, it, it, it's time. It's like, okay, we've had a year to kind of get our feet wet. But it's time to go now. So I'm not saying that, uh, you know, he should go out there and be a dominant force, but, you know, we need to start seeing some of the things that we saw when we recruited him. I think he's certainly capable of doing that. But I'm eager to see what he looks like. And there are a handful of other guys out there that are going to have an opportunity to make plays, too, on the defensive front. You
0: know,
1: one of the linebackers I'm so eager to see is Deshaun Page. He's a guy that was a JUCO guy, came in in January. He's got three years to play. And, and we've got some guys that can play. You know, Nathaniel Watson's the guy that really came on last year when we had some, um, you know, had some guys out, made some big plays for us. You know what Aaron Brule is going to have. You know what he's going to bring. You know what he's going to do. I think Aaron Brule is an all-SEC player. I think, I think he could be a first-team all-SEC player. I think he has that kind of ability. And if you haven't seen him recently, you're going to be shocked. And big, as big and fast as he was last year, he's even bigger and faster. This is a guy that I think fully appreciates the opportunity that he has in front of him, that he could become a National Football League player. I think everybody around him knows that. One of the leading quarterback rushers in the country from the linebacker position. I think I read a stat, I guess he was pro football focus, and said of all linebackers, he led the nation for a while in quarterback hurries. Now, some of that scheme, it is. But you also got to have the ability to get there. So I'm eager to see what he can do this year. I mean, he took a nice jump last year. I think now it's time for him to take that big jump to say, you know what, listen, that wasn't a fluke. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. You know, we're, we're going to have to replace a lot of production with Errol Thompson being gone. You know, it's interesting. Nathaniel Watson's the guy that, uh, you know, was very productive last year when given the opportunity. I remember, and I'm going to go back a couple of years here, you know, when, when he was recruited, he wanted to play wide receiver. And so even though he was committed, he still took a couple of visits. He was eager to see if somebody would give him a chance to stay on offense. Well, you know, ultimately Sticks to stay becomes a linebacker. And, and I remember, you know, the first few practices he was out there, he had no clue what he was doing. And how could he, right? But you watch him in drills and it's like he's so tentative, he's unsure of himself. And I had read some other people who were like, oh, he's dominating. He absolutely was not dominating. Now, was he trying hard? Absolutely he was. But he was second-guessing everything. He was about a half-step slow to everything. Well, the next year, all of a sudden you look out there and like, hey, that, okay, that's, that's Nate Watson. All right, okay. So he's getting it. And then you see last year, he's beginning to kind of realize his potential, and it makes it look like somebody knew what they were doing when they called him a linebacker. And so, yeah, we look we for him to make a jump this year. But it's been interesting to kind of watch his development because when he got here, you know, he was not in any way a linebacker. He was a great athlete. It was learning the linebacker position. Well, now he's got a couple years under his belt. Now he's got a few years of uh, you know, kind of watching and observing and then getting out there last year and competing and there was a game last year that he had, you know, 12, 13 tackles in a ball game. You know, this is a guy that's kind of embraced the position change. And there're some guys that come in and fight it and they didn't do that. And I'm sure it wasn't Those first few practices when you don't know and and you're out there and everybody else has been a linebacker, and they're speaking a different language than you. They've done all these drills before. There are a lot of people that would have just kind of packed up and said, ah, that's isn't for me. I'm going to go to JUCO, and I'm going to see if somebody would give me a chance to play wide receiver. He didn't do that. He didn't do it. And I think now Mississippi State is going to reap the benefits from that. Let's look at the secondary. I mean, you know, you know what you got at corner. Emmanuel Forbes has been out there at every summer camp, just so you guys know. Every summer camp, every time that there were prospects on campus working through drills, Emmanuel Forbes was out there basically as darcel McBeth, Jr., out there working through drills with the guys, demonstrating drills, answering their questions, being a leader, and, and not just the kids that Mississippi State's recruiting, but all of them, all of them, helping all of them get better. Those are the kind of things that excite you about him as a player and a person. Because how many guys would come out there and just kind of say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just out here to help coach. Forbes was out there to help the kids. He's out there to help the guys get better. And this is a guy that's, you know, one year removed from this process himself. But, you know, that, that was a surprise for us last year. That was the thing we, we we were kind of hearing some things in fall camp that he was making a run for it. You know, we knew that he was running second team. We knew – that uh, Asias Furge was looking to hold that spot down and Martin Emerson the other. And, you know, it took a few ball games, but, you know, you if know, obviously had uh, one bus too many and, and you pulled him. And that's not to say that Furge didn't contribute last year. He did. You know, I just think Forbes is just a better player, better long-term, and I think he's uh, you know, a better matchup. Furge is a little more of a squat corner. He doesn't have the same size and length. That's not to say the guy isn't working hard. He is. Had a big pick at LSU. But, uh, you know, you know what you got with Emerson. You know what you got with Forbes. Furge is a guy that's a solid rotation guy, and DeCambriano Richardson is going to be your next corner. And and I, and the reviews about him are outstanding. Darcel McBeth has had a lot of big things to say about DeCambrian Richardson, about how the you know, lights kind of turn it on a little bit. And so that's probably your two deep right now. And that's a solid two deep. I mean, listen, there, there could be some situations, job we some matchups where, you know, Furge – Maybe he doesn't measure up you know, against some of those guys out there, and that's not a knock on his ability. It's really about size, and it's become a different game here in the last few years. But I think, I think I feel pretty good about our depth there. You bring some other guys in, you have a chance to get out there and compete, and I want to see these young guys compete too. You know, we went out and signed some corners too that uh, some younger developmental type guys, I'm eager to see how they perform. You know, what, what does Jay Hampton look like, right, about William Hardrick? I don't expect either of those guys to play much this year. But I'm eager to see what kind of hand we've been dealt. You know, what do they do? How do they kind of embrace drills? What do they look like? Obviously, they've got to spend a year or two in the weight room. But you kind of understand my point. I just want to see what we got. Now, safety, we've talked about it and kind of belabored the point. You know, we didn't have much last year at depth and safety. You you lose Janari Dean to a torn meniscus in fall camp. C.J. Morgan wasn't ready to come back. You lose Dylan Lawrence to a broken ankle, Marcus Murphy opts out. I mean, you you run all the way down the list. I mean, you know, we were down five safeties at some point last year. And we're having the guys get out there doing the best they can, but there's a reason they weren't on the two deep. And again, that's not to be critical of them. They're giving us all they got. And sometimes, you know, the best you have is just not enough. And there were times the teams just dialed up a shot because they knew that we had, you know, some deficiencies at the safety position. Not going to have that this year. Teams aren't going to have the luxury as, oh, let's just dial one up here and throw it deep and let a guy go make a play for us. We've got a lot more talent back there now. you got Jalen Green out there, and he's another guy that I've seen around the camps a lot. He's a good-looking player. And we saw him in the spring, and that's the interesting thing, too. You know, Charlton, Makai Polk, Jalen Green all ran second team during the spring, which is the right thing to do. You don't want to just give those guys a job. Gotta go out there and make them earn it. But let's be honest. You know, Jalen Green's gonna be starting. He's gonna be a major part of the rotation. And maybe not week one, but he will be. He'll be the guy that starts most of the games. And so you start running this thing down. You know, what about Colin Duncan? You know, Colin Duncan may have been the most improved player on defense last year. And he was the guy too, was a late signee, you know, for Joe. You know, he didn't sign in December. We took him in February. Got a pretty good deal, you know. And so, I think about Dylan Lawrence coming back, and I was a Dylan Lawrence fan from the beginning. And I know there were a lot of people in the message board community that were not fans of Dylan Lawrence. I am. I remain a fan of Dylan Lawrence. I think safety is exactly where he fits. He has the defensive mentality as a wide receiver's catch radius. That guy's going to pick off some balls for us. You go back and look at that LSU ball game, go look at the box score. You'd be surprised at the numbers Dylan Lawrence put together. The guy's got some real potential. He's a freak of an athlete. It's just a matter of finding him a true position. I believe that's safety. A lot of people thought it could be corner. I just didn't think, you know, once he gets in a weight room, puts on 10, 15 pounds, that he's going to be quick twitch enough to play corner. A lot of change in direction involved playing corner. I just don't know that he has that in him. But I do think he's a guy that can play safety with the field in front of him and kind of get downhill on some people. He's not scared to go out there and deliver a blow. But I like our group. I think we got a chance to be a really good football team this year. Are we gonna be great? Probably not. We a solid ball team, absolutely we are. And I'm eager to see the team in person today. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by Closewithblair.com. That's right, closewithblair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R. Closewithblair.com. If you're looking to buy a home, looking to refinance your current home. Or maybe you're just thinking, you know what, someday I dream of owning a home. Reach out to Blair. He can help you get ready for all those processes. Whether you're looking to buy your first home, whether you're looking to get a secondary property, or perhaps buy that fixer-upper. He knows all the ins and outs of the mortgage business. And Blair's a guy, too. He's not some fly-by-night guy. 21 years, folks, 21 years in the industry. Works a fairway mortgage, one of the top five mortgage lenders in the country. Blair is in their top 1%. This is a guy that knows how to get loans closed. And he'll just tell you up front, he's seen it all and done it all. And he can say, listen, here's our plan. Here's where we stand. And maybe it's best to go get pre-qualified. See, when you get ready to go look for a home, you know exactly what you can afford in the price range that you should be shopping. You can visit him at closetheblair.com and you can see all the products that are available, conventional loans, VA loans, basically anything you need there. Better yet, give Blair a call. Now, I don't want you to share this number because I only give this out to my friends. But it's 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And, yeah, there's some people out there that think, you know what, Steve, I'll never be able to buy a home. You, you might be wrong about that. You might be wrong. Give Blair a call. He's the expert. You're not. Give him an opportunity to, to you know, look through your credit and perhaps look at your 1003 residential housing application, and he can let you know what your options are. Great guy, gets bulldog. I've known Blair a long time. He would not do you wrong. I wouldn't do business with people that would. So, again, close Today's top ten list. I really thought we had done this one. And I've probably had 20 people in the last year say, hey, Steve, let's do these guys. And I say, hey, we've already done them. Well, I double-checked with Roy. We hadn't done them. We've mentioned them on a few lists, but we've never done their own list. We're going classic rock. We're actually going back to the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And no, it's not up, and we have done them. It's Credence Clearwater Revival. So, John, this was for you. John reached out and said, hey, have you ever done CCR? I said, surely I have. And I got to thinking about it, and I said, maybe I haven't. And so we haven't. So here's a little thing about CCR that most people probably don't realize. Credence Clearwater Revival is actually their third name. They actually were a band before that, the Gollywogs, I guess, and then the Blue Velvets before that. But um, CCR is when they kind of found it. They had recorded their first you know, full-length album as Credence Clearwater Revival. Seven albums in four years. Think about that. Seven albums in four years. And that's back when the music industry, it was like it moved like a glacier. If you wanted an album done, it was like a year-long process at the minimum. But these guys, you know, worked with fantasy records out there in California and they were able to turn it around really quickly. So seven albums in four years. The last one Mardi Gras was awful. That's after Tom Fogarty left the band. And it was a lot of, the band was kind of falling apart because let's, let's be honest, John Fogarty is a talent in that band. Just how it is. Now, some of the earlier stuff, him and Tom kind of co-wrote it, but John was the driving force. And so there ended up being a lot of jealousy within CCR because, you know, John was the talent and everybody else was kind of along for the ride. And those guys were like, hey, let's do my song. Well, the record company didn't like the song. And so a lot of John stuff made the album because it was the better stuff. And there was some jealousy within the band. Ultimately, Tom left, had some solo stuff that uh, kind of reminded him that he wasn't the guy. You know, Stu Cook and those guys went on a little bit later and, and tried to put their own things together. It just didn't work out. It was John Fogarty's band. John Fogarty is an American legend, one of the strongest voices of that generation without question. And for some of you young folks that are listening to this and you say, Steve, who's John Fogarty? John Fogarty's a guy that sings center field. When you go to Duty Noble Field and you hear it, put me in coach, I'm ready to play, that's John Fogarty. He had a couple of big hits after he left CCR, the old man down the road and – and um in center field. He's had a few ones, but uh, there was a time there because he was so bitter, he wouldn't even play the CCR stuff. But um, they were his songs. So there's a few honorable mentions I'll throw out here. Uh, Suzy Q, Born on the Bayou, Sweet Hitchhiker, I guess. We'll throw that out there. Uh, that's probably the last great CCR song, and it was on the album Mardi Gras, and it was a John Fogarty song, ironically enough. It's what's so crazy. It's like all these guys in the band pushed for more creative control, and once he gave it to them, the band fell apart. It's, it's, it's a cautionary tale, it really is. And again, seven albums in four years, from 68 to 72. Uh, number 10 is a song that was actually covered years ago by one of my favorite bands, Tesla, on the five man acoustical jam album. It's Lodi, it's about a town out in California. I absolutely love this song. I love Tesla's version of it too, but I think the original version is so great. The harmonies are great in the chorus. Uh, number nine, another song of theirs that was covered by a few people, probably made most famous by Ike and Tina Turner, but it's "Proud Mary." And no, that you know that's that's the thing. CCR wrote it and recorded it first. There were a couple other bands that recorded it afterwards, but uh, Ike and Tina, you know, kind of made it a little more up tempo. Little less folks. So he had a huge hit with it. Number eight, Green River. Love this one a lot, man. Really do. Uh, and uh, one of the things I like about it is it, it's kind of got this guitar riff in it that's not necessarily folky and it's not necessarily rock. It's almost kind of ominous, kind of in that pre chorus. The vocals on it are really, really good. Number seven is really kind of Americana, but it's looking out my back door. And it seems like this song should be about 100 years old. And when you listen to it, I mean, it's one of those things that kind of gets your foot stomping. You know what I'm saying? It's just like you're just kind of, it's not going like involuntary reflex. Looking out my back door for sure. Number six, we hear this sometimes at uh, Duty Noble during rain delays. It's, it's have you ever seen the rain? It's one of the most introspective songs that John Fogarty has written. It's one of those things, too, it's just about life yeah you know, you, there's a lot of people that want to, you know have all these uh you know metaphorical value in a song, but it's just one of those things. it's just about living life on life's terms. Number five, I don't think this song gets enough respect. It is one of the most up tempo rocking songs without a doubt in the c c r catalog. And to be honest with you, I think I wish they would have gone more in this direction later in their careers. I think that they would have kind of been the precursor for a lot of what we see in rock today. But it's Traveling Band. And it sounds a little bit like some late Beatles stuff, to be honest with you. But I absolutely love the song. And I love the guitar on it. It sounds from a different era, but it still holds up today. You put it on on the radio. You put it it up on iMusic, iTunes, or whatever, Spotify, whatever. And the song sounds like it doesn't sound like it's sixty years old, and it's incredible. To think about that. Or I guess fifty years old. Pardon me. Can't do my math anymore. But a song is nearly fifty years old, and you put it on, and it sounds relatively new. I'm not saying that it sounds modern, but it doesn't sound like it's fifty years old. Number four. This is one of those just kind of you know slap your knee type songs that I think everybody has heard this. It's uh, down on the corner. Willie and the Po' Boys are playing, flinging nickels at your feet. It, it, it's no, it's a classic song. It's so well constructed. Love the harmonies in it. It's just, it's a good time and tr- song. It just, and that's the thing too about that era of music, is in some respects, a lot of the music in the late sixties was very negative. And then CCR kind of was a breath of fresh air in many respects. It's almost like the early 90s in, in rock music. Everything was – everybody just got up on stage and stared at their shoes and nobody took a bath. It was difficult, you know. And so that's the thing I think that made CCR a little bit different is that they they had some real versatility within a catalog and then they have some of these political songs and they have some, uh, some songs about, you know, the, the 1960s movement and then they've got this – classic down on the corner that is just unlike anything else. Number three is Who'll Stop the Rain. I could have reversed those two, to be honest with you, but Who'll, Who'll Stop the Rain is another one that uh, it's, it's one of those very personal, very relatable songs. You know, we've all had those moments in life when it just seems like the whole world is against us. And, and uh, one of the things that I learned about life, and I share this when I speak, uh, with, with recovery meetings is there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who think they're going to make it and those who think they won't. The funny thing is they're both right. And I think that's the thing about, you know, who stop the rain. It kind of makes you begin to kind of question which one of those people that you are. Number two, and I could have made a case for this one being number one. We talked about, you know, CCR having like some, some songs that were kind of uh, unique for the era. But it's Fortunate Son. And fortunate son basically is about the typical american teenage male that was going to have to go to vietnam and fight for a war he didn't believe in and then all of a sudden you know all these senator sons and people like that are getting these draft exemptions and things like that so it was you know the wealthy in our in our nation their children were not having to go fight in vietnam and so that's kind of what the song is about. It ain't me. I ain't a fortunate son. I got to go. I got to go fight. I got to go you know, bleed my blood for this country because I'm poor. You know, but you know, while the privilege in this country, you know, their, their kids aren't having to make that same sacrifice. And so it is a song of anger. It is a song of rebellion. It is a song of revolution. I think in many respects, it is the best song that John Fogarty ever wrote. Especially considering the timing. It became anthemic to a generation. There were so many people that were just kind of commoners, you know, just regular work a day blue-collar type people, and their sons were the ones having to go fight in a foreign land. And so this became their theme song. It's a song of protest. And probably one of the greatest protest songs of all time. A lot of people have all this other silly stuff that you know that people are like, oh, this is so wonderful. Hey, this is in your face. This is like, okay, you can do what you want to do, and I can't stop you, but I want to let you know you're wrong. You're wrong about what you're doing. Fortunate Son, a absolute American classic. If you don't listen to any other song on this list, go listen to that one. Number one for me is Bad Moon Rising. I, I love the guitar on it. I love the tempo. Again, it's just one of those songs, you put it on, next thing you know, you're singing along. And you, forgot, you, you forget you even know the words to a lot of these songs, but they're just so great, and they're so comfortable. It's like if you've heard them a few times in your life, and you put them on, all of a sudden you're just. Next thing you know, you're in the middle of a CCR show, and that's how Bad Moon Rising is for me. It's like as soon as I put it on, it kind of transforms me to a time. And I remember my stepdad is the one that got me into CCR. He worked for uh, for Bell South for many years, and uh, you know, so when he and my mom started dating, you know, he had records, and I, and I was I wanted records. Well, he had records, and I was so blown away by it, because like, oh, I can listen to my favorite songs whenever I want to. And he had a bunch of CCR stuff. He had a bunch of Jimi Hendrix stuff. Didn't have a lot of Led Zeppelin stuff. Didn't, like, have the heavier edge like like me. But he loved CCR, one of his favorite bands. And so whenever we would go visit him, that's one of the first things I'd want to go do is I want to go put on CCR. Let's go hear Bad Moon Rising. And and when I hear these songs, it takes me back to that. It takes me back to being a kid. And, And many of these songs, obviously, when I'm listening to them, you know, they're seven, eight, nine, 10 years old, but they were brand new to me. And that's the wonderful thing about music is a great song is always a great song. There are a lot of songs, you know, they're kind of written for a time and they're kind of written for a trend and they're kind of written for a fad and they don't hold up. But that's the thing about Crudence Clearwater Revival is that in four years, they wrote some of the most iconic songs in American music. And you put them on today and they're still great songs, even though they're not part of our time. They're not even part of the century, but they still make sense because a lot of those same feelings are things that we still experience. So there you go. Glad to do it. John, that's for you. You asked for it. You and about 20 other people. So we finally got around to doing it, CCR. I hope you guys dig it. I know, I know CCR is one of those bands that a lot of people uh, – Dave Murray is a guy that's not a big CCR fan. And I, I don't know. I don't quite understand that. But um, some people say, well, it's Southern Rock written out in California. I don't care where it's written, man, where it's recorded, or where it's sung. Great music is great music. And Clearwater Revival made a whole bunch of it. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out let me know. I'm on all forms of social media, at R. Just might use your idea. We've got a pretty good list right now. We're kind of working through it. But every so often, somebody will send something in, and I'll think, man, why hadn't I thought about that? Got to do that one. And somebody reached out to me a couple days ago, and I haven't even sent this to Roy yet, and said, and this is interesting, Steve, what are your favorite songs on your favorite albums? And that could get kind of confusing. Because, you know, it's like I've got some – you know, my favorite songs from certain bands aren't on my favorite albums. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's some there's some albums that are kind of like you know one or two singles and then filler, and there are some albums that are great. But my favorite song might be on one of those you know average albums. And so I'm gonna think about that. I think it's an interesting topic. What's my favorite song on my 10 favorite albums? It's gonna be tough for me to put my 10 favorite albums together. But I can promise you a lot of my favorite songs are not going to be ones that play on the radio. I'm a real fan. But, again, reach out and let me know if you've got ideas. Next segment of the show, we're going to talk about NC State, brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, I love those people. I really do. Every time I go in there, they're always so great to me. They're always glad to see me coming. And I'm glad to go in there and see them. Stan and Mammoth, Kathy Brown, lovely Talented, Susie, Cheyenne, Candy, the whole crew in there. Candy's a former Diamond Girl, too. I don't know if you guys knew that. She is. She is. Former, and you can tell when you're around her. You can just tell. So go by, check them out. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. And it's not a joke. It really does stand for beautiful Steve Robertson. It really does. You'll see when you go plug it in. That's how I knew we had a lot of new uh, campus bookmark customers, As people started, started sending me the screenshot. I never knew you. I thought you were just joking. No, I'm not, I'm not joking. I never joke about that. Never about my own beauty. Maybe about yours, but not mine. So let's talk a little bit about NC State. This is going to be a really good NC State team. I don't think it's a great NC State team, but they're going to be a solid bowl team. they got a chance to be really good, especially on offense. Now, one of the things that, I, you know, it's interesting to me, there's sometimes I think maybe I don't know football the way that I think I do, but it's pretty rare that you lose your starting quarterback and get better. Not the next year. You know, obviously there are some situations, you know, where there's, there's a guy that's kind of been waiting his time, and then he kind of elevates his game. But even you go back to even Joe Burrow. You know, Joe Burrow transfers into LSU, and everybody's like, oh, this guy's going to be great. Well, the first year he wasn't. The second year he put up one of the greatest seasons in the history of college football. But the first year there is some adjustment. I mean, and being a first-year starter is very difficult. It just it doesn't come together. And so NC State is replacing Bailey Hockman, who was actually transferred to Middle Tennessee State. So, Devin Leary is expected to be the guy at quarterback. Devin Leary, 66 of 110 last year, 890 yards, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. Bailey Hockman was the guy last year, but his numbers weren't very good. 13 touchdowns, 11 interceptions in that respect. due for 64%. But, uh, you know, a lot of small, short passing with them. They're not really going to challenge you much vertically. But there are a lot of pieces that return offensively for them. You know, we talked about Louisiana Tech, about how, you know, they weren't a great offense, and then they lose their top two rushers and three of their top four receivers. They bring the quarterbacks back, but they just don't have much around them. Well, this is a much different situation with NC State. You got Ricky Person Jr., Zonovan Knott, uh, that are coming back to run the football. Those guys, those guys combined are running for over 1,400 yards last year. Now, look at the receiving side of things. Amike MZ. And I know I pronounced it wrong, so I apologize. No disrespect intended. Thayer Thomas, uh, Trent Penix is a guy that, uh, that they think has some opportunities there, kind of limited last year. But um, you know, Carrie Angeline, that they've got they've got some guys that they kind of spread the ball around a little bit last year. Uh, there's there's a there's a chance for them to really take a step forward. Kerry uh, Carrie Angeline, big tight end for them. Big tight end, six, seven, two hundred and fifty-five pounds. So they're going to have some ability to score this year. It's one of those things, too. I'm just kind of glad we get them early in the year. Yeah, you know, I'm sure they're thinking the same thing about us. But the thing about NC State last year that is absolutely crazy to think about, turnovers. Oh, my gosh. Turnovers was just such a problem for them last year. I mean, as bad as the defense is, when you give them the short field over and over and over and over again, how are they going to ever compete? You know, we, that, was this 11, 17, 15 interceptions last year, you know, and you know, looking at the the fumbles, it's just it's crazy to think about. You know, you have a team that is decent on offense and then you are consistently putting the ball on the ground. But, yeah, you know, they weren't a great turnover margin team. Now, I'm sure they're thinking, much like we are, you know, with, with a new quarterback, you know, coming in and a guy that was a turnover machine moving on, that maybe some of that will be helped. We had 15 picks last year and 11 of them transferred to Middle Tennessee State. I'm sure a lot of Bulldog fans are thinking the same thing because, you know, we, were, we had a turnover machine at quarterback two. We have 25 turnovers last year, something like that. And so this is why this is a big thing that I think will happen in this ballgame is, number one, I'm glad it's at home. I think this is a very even game. You know, I think this is an NC State team that could be pretty good. I don't think they're going to compete, you know, for the ACC championship. But, I, you know, listen, I think they're much like Mississippi State. I think they're probably like an 8-4 and four team. You know, maybe it could be 9-3, maybe it could be 7-5. But I think they're basically right there with us. But playing this game at home is big. They're going to return a lot of starters, too. They're going to return some experience. They've got some transfers coming in, just like we do. I mean, it's almost like a mirror image. Like last year, you know, know, we had KJ Costello expected to be the guy. You know, they were probably thinking the same thing, you know, when they put Bailey Hockman up there. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, Bailey Hockman can't get it done. They put Devin Leary in there, and all of a sudden there's some room for optimism. So, again, these teams are almost mirror images of each other. I'm curious to see – you know, what the line's going to look like after week one. And the fact that we're at home, a lot of people are going to pick them to beat us. And it's not going to be because of the the NC State fans, because I think it's one of the things that I've noticed to the Wolfpack, who really did not get a lot of respect from the national media either. And they're a team that's struggled to finish in the top 25. They have. But this is a team this year that I think will take a step forward. A lot of super seniors on this team. You know, that's the thing. I think it's going to bring – You know, I, I think there will be a lot more upsets this year in college football because of the fact that you know, you're going to have some teams, especially in the mid-major and G5 groups that uh, didn't get drafted. You're going to have some guys out there that, that uh, are going to be very experienced. And so I think you're going to see some craziness in college football this year, and I'm here for every bit of it. I really am. I hope that we're a part of it on the positive side of things. Let's look at a couple other things here, too, before we get to defense. Mississippi State and NC State have played six times in our history. Did you know that? I know you all remember in 2015, we went out there and sat in the rain at Charlotte with Dak Prescott, his final game in a Mississippi State uniform. We beat them in the Belk Bowl, 51-28. And to be honest with you, it was worse than that. Uh, they beat us and Jackie, I think it was Mike O'Kane who was the coach back then, Back in 95, they beat us in the Peach Bowl, 28-24. Before that, you got to go all the way back to 1963. Mississippi State, Bill McGuire won the Liberty Bowl up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's right, Liberty Bowl used to be in the the town of Liberty rather than Memphis. It was in Philadelphia. Bill McGuire told me it's the coldest he'd ever been in his life. Well, State wins the ballgame 16-12. Bill McGuire blocked a punt and set up the go-ahead Touchdown. We played them again in 1940, we went up to Raleigh, and we beat them with their place 26-10. to 10. They won the first two meetings back in 1930 and 31, 14 nothing, and 6 nothing. So the six meetings all time, three of them have been in bowl games. So this will be only the fourth regular season meeting all time between the two schools. And I'll be honest with you, it's kind of a shame. I mean, honestly. I mean, this is, this is a team, it's another ag school, and, you know, so they're, they're kind of similar to us. And I think, you know, after what we saw happen at Omaha, I think we all kind of feel like, you know what, well, hey, these guys are our friends. And now, I know they were they were cheering for us. And one of the coolest things that happened at Omaha is in game one, we're getting ready to go play Vanderbilt, and a plane flies over. And it's pulling one of those trailers, and it says, beat Vandy, the pack. You know, and I, I was like, you know, we got some solidarity with these guys. And, and a lot of it too, and I don't want to belabor the point, but it's like, you know, The way that Vanderbilt acted after the NC State stuff happened, oh, well, we got a good result, we're moving on. It really rubbed people the wrong way, including me. I mean, at the end of the day, not a lot of people care, you know, if our feelings are hurt. I just felt like the way that NC State was treated and the way Vanderbilt – and Tim Corbin, I just thought, handled it very poorly. We talked about that on the show before. I think we just kind of felt some allegiance with those guys because – I was kind of looking forward to state and NC State playing, and I don't know that NC State would have been able to, to, to get there, to be honest with you. And w- would they have been able to beat Kumar even at full strength? Probably not. If they'd played an elimination game, they win that, probably not. NC State was, was, was good doing well. We were, we were going to beat whoever they put out there, because it was our time. But I was kind of looking forward, thinking, you know what, if us and NC State play, you're guaranteed a new first-time champion, which is great for the game of college baseball. It worked out better for us as we got a chance to beat, you know, the the Wicked Witches of the East uh, in Vanderbilt. But be that as it may, I think a lot of people feel like, you know what, maybe we ought to play these guys a little more often. So I'm glad we had the football series. I'm not sure when we make up the second game. I'm looking forward to going to Raleigh and go checking everything out. I've never been up there before. And so I'd love to be able to go to that game. So, defensively, let's take a look at these guys, too. Again, they bring a lot of guys back. And they also have some transfers coming in. And, and that's the, you know, they, like everybody else, you, you lose a few, a few pieces here and there. Again, they lose a guy up front. You know, Alain McNeil, that was a guy that was, you know, kind of a, a I won't say Jeffrey Simmons type, but he kind of had a similar impact for them you know he was that guy in the middle that just really kind of made everybody else better you know and he's uh you know he's a guy that's in, you know with round three pick of the detroit lions they expect him to be you know a big time player for them you know obviously a little different you know body style there but you know, this is a guy that was very disruptive for them and so he's moved on and so you got to find a way to replace him and that, that's a lot to replace i mean it really is when you have your guy in the middle that uh, especially when your team had kind of struggle to stop the run, all of a sudden you lose, you know, your best guy in that respect. That That's difficult to overcome. You know, it really is. You know, Aleem McNeil, too, is a guy that, uh, you know, you learned to kind of play a little bit with him last year, you know, but he's just one of those guys that I think you. you it's difficult to replicate what he can bring as far as a disruption. And I think it it really factored in in their run defense when, when he was out. you know, when he, I, I assume, I believe he opted out. He didn't do a whole lot. But he, um, he's just one of those guys, too, that um, you have to game plan for. I may be misremembering that. It's somebody, maybe, somebody maybe, I thought he missed a game late because we're dropping out. But you know, I apologize for being unprepared. But uh, but he's just one of those guys, too, that kind of like Caleb Yules a little bit, too. Whereas, he's a guy that can kind of occupy a double team and kind of open things up for some other people. But they'll be okay. I think, if I remember correctly, I read they had eight starters coming back on defense. Were really good in the secondary, but uh, not necessarily great at the interception. You know, They were a team that could get their hands on the ball, just couldn't quite secure the catch. I understand the linebackers are expected to be really, really good for them. Um, you know we'll kind of see how that that goes. I mean, you know, Peyton Wilson is supposed to be a guy that they think is a potential NFL uh, draft pick. Plays a wheat side linebacker for them, so we'll kind of see how things progress with him. But uh, you know they're going to have some guys that can play. And and Peyton Wilson led the team last year with 108 tackles, 11 and a half of those for loss, three and a half sacks, a couple of picks, and a pass deflection. Did a little bit of everything. They got some dudes. They do. They got some dudes. Isaiah Moore is another guy at linebacker that's expected to be really, really good. Isaiah Moore is a guy that had 94 tackles last year, 11 of them for loss. Three of them were sacks. So this is going to be a linebacker group that we're going to have to put in conflict. We're going to have to be able to run the football a little bit. We're going to have to be able to make them be a little bit indecisive. We've got to be able to get the ball behind them. And so that's going to be who we have to kind of attack. But this is going to be an NC State team, again, that's it's very, very good. They're going to have an opportunity to come in here and play well. I'm kind of glad we get them early. You know, a lot of people kind of projected them to be, you know, an 8-4 and four type team. And I think it's probably fair. Like we look at the schedule here. I know that uh, you guys are kind of eager to see how that works. But uh, they're going to open the year. A little bit tougher game for them. They're going to play South Florida in game one. At home, but they're going to play – South Florida, they come to us, then they get Furman at home, and then Clemson. So that's a that's a pretty difficult stretch, with the exception of Furman. You know, you could you know, South Florida's is kind of been middle of the pack, but that's a game that you know you're got to play. Uh, Louisiana Tech October second, then they're open on the ninth. They go to Boston College, then to Miami. Host Louisville at Florida State, at Wake Forest, home against Syracuse in North Carolina. And so they avoid some of the teams in here. But, listen, when you got to play Florida State and you got to play Miami and you got to play Clemson, uh, you didn't get a peach of a schedule by any stretch of the imagination. And so, you know, looking at these numbers, you look at them and you think, you know, okay, these are some guys that, that return a lot, especially on defense. And they return some pieces on offense, but they've got to find the trigger guy. So if the quarterback can be what they expect him to be with the pieces that they have around them, this is a team that's capable of being really good. I don't think there's any question about it. And so, again, I'm glad we get them at home. And I'm kind of glad we get them early. And I'm eager to see, that's the thing, too, when you start thinking about Zach Arnett going up against a guy that is somewhat limited in experience, a quarterback, you can confuse him and hopefully you know, force him into some errors. That's a big part of all this, is we need the quarterback – to give us the football on occasion. And I heard Gene Stallings say it one time back when Joe Lee Dunn was calling the cadence here at Mississippi State, is, you know, we've got 11, they've got 11, one of ours is a quarterback. That means somebody's always can come free on the blitz. And that's kind of how Zach Arnett is, is you just never know who that guy's going to be and where he's coming from and when we're going to bring him. And so you can confuse him a little bit. But this is a game, too, where I think you guys make a big difference. We, we're going to need a huge crowd. It's either going to be on ESPN2 or ESPN U. It's going to be on television. But we need you to be here. It's a 6 p.m. game. It'll be the first night game of the year. And if you're looking for night football in the month of September, this is the only guarantee right now. We don't know what time we're going to play you yet. That'll probably be announced the week of the NC State game. But the Louisiana Tech games at 3 o'clock, the Memphis game at 3 o'clock. So, at home, September 11th, 6 p.m. Still going to be warm. Don't get me wrong. But you won't be in the heat. Go ahead and start hydrating now. You got a month to get ready. We're also going to be hosting a lot of official visitors that weekend. A lot of guys for this class will be here that weekend. You're trying to get everybody sound in December. We're going to bring some guys in for a game day experience uh, you know, Stone Blanton is going to be here. Davian Collins is going to be here. So, you know, we need to kind of show what Mississippi State is all about. You know, we need to have cowbells clanging. and we need to have a full crowd. And, and for many of you, you didn't get to go to a game last year. I know some Bulldog fans, the only game they got to attend was the ball game. And so – you weren't able to go to Davis White Stadium game last year because of you know the COVID protocols, and hopefully that doesn't become an issue again this year. I'm just told again yesterday, everybody remains optimistic that we're gonna be at full capacity, but we're just still evaluating. Still evaluating to see what's happening with we'll this delta variant. And listen, the numbers aren't exactly great right now. And I've had two friends within the last week that have died of COVID. And it's a real and present thing. You know, uh, Chip Lofton was the high school quarterback on our state championship team in 82. He was my neighbor. He passed away earlier this week. It still blows my mind. Chuck Beasley. From uh, over around uh, Hamilton. His son and my son played soccer together for a couple years. All his kids are small. I think their oldest one is Parker. And... um who is my youngest age. I got started much earlier. Um, and so, you know, I, I think about those things, and I'm not going to sit here and, and chase a rabbit trail about this. I'm just telling you, you'll make good decisions for yourself and for your family. But there's nothing at this point that's a guarantee about attendance. So buy tickets, plan ahead, but we need a big crowd there. And Be responsible. Do what you feel is comfortable for you, what's best for you. If you come to the game and you want to wear a mask, don't let anybody make you feel bad for not wearing one. If you want to wear one, don't make anybody make you feel bad for wearing it. It's a personal decision. I don't judge anybody for anything they do. You do what you want to do. It's your life. Live and let live. But there may be some restrictions in place. So, And, and if there are, please don't give those people a hard time, those poor event management people that are – you know, we're just there to make a few bucks. You know, they're just trying to go pay the light bill. They're not there for your anger. So if they tell you to put a mask on, put a mask on. If that's the rule, then then that's the rule. Then at this point, there is no rule. My hope is is that, you know, just like we saw with some other things, that this delta variant, you know, we've seen in some countries around the country around the world that they have a big spike and then it kind of goes away. And so hopefully that happens in plenty of time for us in college football season. I know how desperately you guys want to be there, and we certainly want you to be there. We want to have you know, life and life abundantly. And um, my hope is that we can get all this stuff behind us. You know, we had such a great year of baseball. You know, we had some, you know, crowd restrictions earlier in the year, and then those were lifted, and we didn't see these big spikes. We we just didn't see it. And uh, everybody seemed to be doing good. We crowned the national champion in football and basketball and baseball. Felt like, okay, we're on the road back, and all of a sudden we kind of get, you know, reminded that this is still a real and present danger. So, again, be smart. Take some personal accountability. Be smart for you and your family. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You guys know Brooks Bryan. Brooks is amazing. Brooks uh, once robbed a home run against the University of Washington to send us to Omaha. I I won't let him forget it. He won't let me forget it. You can call him and talk to him about it. And while you're on the phone with him, talk to him about you moving to Starkville. We love you here. You know, you love packing a car and coming up here. How how fun would it be to live here year-round? I can tell you from experience, it is the greatest years of my life. I'm more productive here. I'm happier here. I feel like the quality of my life has improved here. That's no disrespect to anywhere else I've ever lived, but I'm home here. And maybe it's time you made your home here. Portico is absolutely the best place to go. And if I was just moving to Starkville now, that's where I'd move. Turn off of 82 onto 12. Like going towards campus, take the very first right. That's Pat Station Road. You cross all West Point Road, which is maybe you know, a quarter, third of a mile. And then Portico is right up there, right right beyond that intersection. It's 1.1 miles from campus. You get a two-bedroom house, three-bedroom, four-bath. Got a great walking trail out there. But the coolest thing is, is you're right there close to campus, but you're not in a hustle and bustle. It's on this side. It's on the back side of campus, you know, so you're not having to fight all that traffic on 12. And you know what? If you need to go to the big Walmart, you can jump out there on the bypass. You can go to the big Walmart. You don't have to fight all that traffic on 12. You don't have to. Sometimes I don't want to do it either. And I'm a guy that lived in Baton Rouge for 16 years. And Portico is absolutely the best way to go. Give Brooks a call today. Do it today. And if you're thinking about, oh, well, Steve we're going to retire up there, we're going to make a, buy our second home up there. We're going to buy an investment property. Then do it. Stop putting it off and do it. Call Brooks for information today. 601-416-8075. There's no question. Without a doubt. If I'm moving to Starkville, Portico is the first place I'm going to look. Again, that's Brooks Bryan. 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. So, we've talked a little bit about recruiting on the show today. And, uh, you know, we got some official visits coming up. And so, we're in the middle of an NCAA dead period right now. And so, what that means is no face-to-face recruiting. We can't go see them. They can't come see us. They can't come to practice. You know, used to they could come to practice and kind of observe, you know, before school started, that sort of stuff. Can't do that anymore. When we get into September, it'll be a little bit different. Can't do it now. Not during fall camp. So, What's cool, though, is we're going to be able to go on the road in September. You know, your coaches at Mississippi State have not, on the football side of things, they have not been able to go out and see recruits in person since they first got here. Right? When they, when they took over from, for uh, Joe Moorhead and we had to finish up the 2020 class, They went out and saw some coaches and went to some schools and met with some kids. Hadn't been able to do it ever since. It's crazy to think about because we had no spring evaluation period in 2020. We had no spring evaluation period in 2021. We didn't have in-home visits last year during the heart of recruiting. Remember, everybody had to kind of make their decision based on what they learned virtually. And so come September 1, you know, we start playing high school football here a couple weeks, Come September 1, your coaches are going to be able to go watch those recruits play in person. They're going to be able to go get on the road. They can't, they can't interact with them, but they can get on the road and go watch them play. They can go to the high school and they can talk to the coach. They can sit down and watch film with them, go see the guidance counselor, get his transcript, kind of find out what he's about. All of that can happen. That hadn't happened in nearly two years. It's incredible to think about that. So it's going to be a different dynamic. Now we're going to have a lot of players here for that September the fourth ball game against Louisiana Tech. We're going to have a bunch more here for September eleventh. Now, one of the things I want to make you guys mindful of too, and maybe you've forgotten about this, there will be a game this year that we don't host prospects. You say, Steve, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know, if you remember, as part of the Tudergate scandal, we there had to be part of the sanctions is we were going to. Um, to not host prospects for one game. Well, since last year we couldn't host prospects, you know, then that that part of the sanctions is continued over to the next year. So when we get ready to play Tennessee State, November twentieth, you're not going to have prospects here. And we got the egg ball coming up that Thursday, so we'll have plenty of them there then. But we're going to serve the one game prohibition on hosting prospects against Tennessee State. And you think, Steve, man, it's been so long since the Tudor Gate thing happened. It has, but a lot of those sanctions, and it wasn't just us, it's just kind of around the country. Any of the th- any of the sanctions you could not serve last year carried over, you know, for a year. And so those are things that I think, just kind of be mindful of that as we kind of get move forward with this. That's why it's so important, you know, to get guys on campus. And let's, let's be honest, not a lot of players are going to come watch us play Tennessee State anyway. So, you know, I know many of you have probably even forgotten that we were on probation. We are on probation, you know, for the Tudor Gate scandal. And that, the probation actually began back in 2019. So we're two years into it now. We have one year remaining, and then we'll be off of that, too. And, and it's, it's one of those things, too, you know, it, as embarrassing as it was, the sanctions probably could have been much worse. They weren't. It's because of this, uh, you know, the settlement basically that we have with the NCAA. But, uh, you know, we're still dealing with some of that stuff. And we still are, and then we're almost done with it, and it'll be behind us, you know, sooner rather than later. You just got to continue to work through this thing and take care of yourself and keep your nose clean. But uh, you know, it's really in many respects kind of been a blip on the radar this year and last year. You remember, you know, back in two thousand nineteen, you know, you had a handful of guys that had to serve those suspensions, and they only got to play in a handful of games. So, it hasn't been just one of these things, well, you know, it's just a bunch of paperwork. No, I mean, there's some real things, and we're still having to deal with those. And so, I just wanted to kind of bring that up just to kind of remind people, not of the of any old wounds or anything, but just when when that happens later this year, you'll understand that. We're not going to host prospects against Tennessee State. Probably weren't going to do it anyway. Because, again, unless it's just local guys just want to go to a ball game, you know, there's not going to – I think we're the only game in town that weekend. But um, – See if they want to come watch us play, they got to go buy a ticket, and there'll probably be plenty of tickets left to be had for sure. Uh, so also back to the recruiting aspect of things too. You know, we look at this thing, and I think it's important to kind of understand that you know we've got some spots left to fill, and there are a lot of capable players out there that are still showing return interest in Mississippi State. You know, Grayson Morgan's a guy on the offensive line. It's really going to boil down, I think, between us and Vanderbilt. Kentucky is in there just a little bit. You know, Clark Lee is a guy that's a Nashville guy that's kind of preaching, hey, let's stay home and build this thing together. You're a Nashville guy. You know, you grew up watching Vanderbilt. So I think it's probably going to be a State-Vanderbilt thing for Grayson Morgan. I like where State stands today, but I don't don't feel great. I'm not ready to put a crystal ball pick or anything like that. But I do think State's done a good job recruiting him. Outside of that, you know, Bryson Hurst. You know, Bryson Hurst is the guy, you know, this, this time last week, everybody was kind of all up in arms thinking he's going to go up to Ole Miss and commit. Well, he didn't. You know, they, they were working hard to even prevent him from visiting Mississippi State. He visits both schools. And then he says, okay, I'm man announce uh, August 25th? Well, now he's decided now he's just going to announce the top four. State and Ole Miss will both be in it. I think State and Ole Miss will be the final two. And so I think, again, there's still some work to do. There's been a lot of ebb and flow with this one. You know, State was a leader for a long time, almost kind of caught up, then State was a leader back again. And so, you know, back in June, he said himself, he was you know, pretty much ready to commit and then backed off of that decision, wanted to go to Florida State for camp, and in Florida State really hadn't been a much of a factor in the race since then. But Bryson Hurst is a great player. Uh, he's a top offensive line prospect in the state, I, I think, by far. You know, we just got to keep working there, and I do think the fact—I think a later decision actually helps Mississippi State. I think early on, if he had committed before all these visits, I think it would have absolutely been Mississippi State. But give Ole Miss some credit—they have made things awfully interesting. I think if he was to announce right now, it probably would be Ole Miss. But the fact that he gets to the weekend and they aren't able to get him to commit is big. He says he's not ready. I don't think we're ready either. Just because of the fact I think we've got more work to do there. But uh, you'd like to be able to get him. And I think one of the things you got to think about, too, is you might need to make an adjustment because of the fact Charles Cross. What if Charles Cross goes pro this year? It's a real possibility. A lot of people out there project him to be a first-round draft pick. And, you know, if he talks to any of these advisors or agents, that's what they're going to tell him, even if he's a third-round pick, you know, because it's about – you know, find that as many guys you can gather are going to sign lucrative contracts, and so let's go represent you and get a big deal. So, does Mason Miller need to calibrate, recalibrate the, the machine here late? Does we need to go think? Okay, we got to go get us a JUCO or a transfer tackle, and maybe that's a decision that we make much later in the year. Maybe that's a call that we make midway through the year, or maybe as we get a little closer to December. But you probably can't afford to wait to then to do your due diligence. You probably need to be kind of looking at some guys now, maybe reaching out, just kind of say, hey, we're going to be watching you this year, and, you know, may have a need for you, that kind of stuff. Got to start doing that relationship building now. Because I can see a situation where, you know, we have to say, you know what, we don't have a left tackle ready to go for next year. So we got to go get a plug-and-play guy while these younger guys like Reese develop. You know, I like the offensive line class we said last signed last year, and and then and this time last year, many of us were kind of concerned, right? You know, we lost Cannon Boone to Virginia Tech. We ultimately get him back, get him signed. We end up getting Albert Reese late. He was a guy that a lot of people wanted, you know. And so, yeah, I think in the end, we look at the class and feel pretty good about it. I, I won't say it's great. I think the, probably the volume of this class will be determined by how Carson Williams and Nick Jones play. You know, you went and got those guys from JUCO because they still have three years of eligibility but they also have two years of maturation under their belt beyond the high school level. So you feel like those guys are a little bit farther along in their physical, mental, and emotional development. And so I feel good about that group, but you've got to stack with this group. I was very pleased with what we saw with Jackson Cannon earlier this year. Uh, He went head-to-head with some of the best defensive line prospects in the state of Mississippi and more than held his own. Um, And so... You know, early on, you know, State was his first big offer. Some other schools have offered, and this is where he's always wanted to go. And so it worked out pretty good for us. But, you know, that's an offensive line group that I think there could be some ebb and flow with, you know, here between now and, and December. And outside of that, I think we're pretty much done on offense with the exception of getting one more wide receiver. And everybody always wants me to talk about Chas Preston. Listen, State's in it with Chas Preston. But, listen, State's not a leader with Chas Preston. And if Sean Preston, his brother, wasn't here at Mississippi State – State might not even be in consideration. But the fact of the matter is, he is here. And he's going to spend a lot of time on our campus, coming to our football games, being around our players, and maybe that's helpful. You know, you work with what you have. But offensive recruiting, I think for the most part, is is in the barn with the exception of those three spots. And I think you guys are probably pretty well aware of that. And, of course, we got to go get us you know a couple more defensive linemen. I, I kind of laughed to myself, too. It's like people say, well, you know – Man, defensive line recruiting is just not going well. Well, you got you already got two of the four guys you really wanted already. You wanted Don Terry Russell, and you wanted R.J. Moss, and you got those guys. Yeah, you wanted Xavier Harris, even though he's in work in progress, I and mean, that guy's a big, burly freak of an athlete. You'd like to get him. Then you got Jaheim Otis, and then you look, okay, well, Harris commits to Ole Miss. Okay, that's not positive for us, but then Jaheim Otis comes up here and spends a weekend – and hangs out with your players and leaves saying, you know what, I had a great time with Alabama and Florida, but it wasn't nothing like this. And so is defensive line recruiting really going bad? I mean, ask yourself that. Okay, I got two guys that I really wanted, two guys that were rated four stars early in the process, and of course ESPN throws in their arbitrary ranking and it hurts the composite. But I got to get four, and I got two of the four I really wanted, and one of the four just spent last weekend on my campus. And so, if I had four on the wish list and I get three of the four, is defensive line recruiting really going bad? I don't think so. I think everybody just needs to relax. Because remember this time last year, everybody's like, oh, our defensive line recruiting is awful. We end up signing an All-American and Deontay Anderson. We get the best defensive line prospect in the state of Mississippi and Ty Cooper. And then you add Randy Charlton to the mix, and you, and you take one, one guy that's a bit of a developmental guy, in Trevion Williams, and he loves Mississippi State. And so you know what? If you're going to sign four, you're probably going to take a developmental guy. So I think defensive line recruiting last year worked out pretty well. That doesn't mean we can't do better. We can. But I think you know re- recruiting classes are best judged in their entirety, and not necessarily when we're cooking a sausage. All right, that's it, it for today. You guys remember I'm at Lemuria Books tomorrow. That's Saturday, August 7th, from two to three. Come out and say hello. And uh, we'll have a lot of full coverage up on Mississippi State's Day of Practice over at jeanspage.com today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way
0: we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call.